once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 74. As always, a reminder, a gentle one, to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Leave a review. Leave a review. Send it to Max Bretos Sports, my Twitter account, so I can read it firsthand. Of course, I'll read it all. Really appreciate it. And it helps me know the direction we are going as we are in the throes of the penultimate World Cup prep window. There'll be another one in September, and we are following the U.S. men's national team. We're following everyone, and that's a big part of what our show is all about. Before I go any further, I also another reminder to check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. We have a recap from the Grenada game, and we'll recap the game against El Salvador in a couple days. So get in there, subscribe there as well. I'll have you covered as we grow into this World Cup year. Big guest, as always, former U.S. international, now broadcaster for TUDN in English and Spanish. It's Marcelo Balboa. We will talk about the U.S. We'll talk about the World Cup and how is the best way to construct a team and prepare for the big event. In stoppage time, we'll take a closer look at the Nations League. The good, the bad, the ugly? A lot to absorb. Some teams benefit more than others. We'll let you know how it all breaks down. But we are off and running. It's great to be with you again. Let's go. All right, we are off and running. I am preparing, as I've documented well, my Northern European trip. If you are unaware of it, I uh, was looking for a trip to go to Europe. Family wanted to go. I was looking for an inexpensive flight from LAX. I found one to Helsinki, connecting to Copenhagen. We're going to be visiting Germany and then Amsterdam. Uh, getting things together, making some calls to make it a football trip. I will be doing a podcast following my European adventure. Reached out to Ian Joy. He's going to hook things up so I can go to FC St. Pauli because I'm in Hamburg for a day. So I get to do in Hamburg called Mini Tower Wunderland. Check it out. I'm going to be going to that, and I'm super excited, even though it's a bunch of little miniature worlds. That makes any sense. So um, have that trip coming up. Also well documented. I was starting the trip in Copenhagen, and I was wondering why the hotels were so expensive. Now, everything else was pretty modest to a little pricey. But Copenhagen was through the roof and there was no, there was nothing in town. So I was like, what could be possibly going on? Well, I found out. Copenhagen, a music festival which features headliners Iron Maiden over four days, Kiss, Judas Priest, Korn, Metallica. <laughs> so needless to say, I'm like, I got to go to this thing. So hopefully I, I, I get into a day in Copenhagen. The day that I can go is on the Friday, and the big band is a Danish rock band called Dad or D-A-D. I don't know who they are. I listen to a couple songs. It's, I don't know if, I don't know. But I'm sure the Danish will be going crazy. Plan on going to the Parkin, Parkin Stadium, and uh, we'll, we'll let you know how it is. I'm very excited. My son is really into geography now and also uh, World War history. Uh, it's going to be an eye-opener. Get out and travel if you can. It looks like the travel industry is coming around. Car sales are coming around, too, for whatever that's worth. I've just been keeping tabs of all of this, so a lot to get to. We will take you to the business end here shortly with Marcelo Balboa. I just had the conversation. Marcelo's great, man. 
Marcelo's done it a different way, and he is such a wealth of knowledge. He's such an agreeable and easy guy to approach. Uh, I really uh, am honored that I have a relationship with so many of the players from that 90s U.S. men's national team. I know all of them by and large, and they have such incredible stories to tell. So uh, you'll enjoy that. We will talk Nations League and the positives and negatives. It's really been a success if you take a look at it, certainly in the European sphere. But we'll do that in stoppage time as we go through a few things. So we got Copenhagen, Minitao Wunderland. Derek Ray, I reached out to him. Of course, we talked to it about as well. So Derek Ray uh, gave me some pointers for Berlin. Um, it's funny, I was, uh, <laughs> we're watching this YouTube show and this guy goes, 10 best things to do in Amsterdam. And I'm watching it with my wife and son. And he goes through the list. And then his number two is, number two, eat a space cake and go to the Van Gogh Museum. My son turns to me and goes, dad, what's a space cake? He wants to try it. I was like, no, no space cake. You can go to the Van Gogh Museum, though. Maybe I'll do a space cake. Who knows? You know, when in Rome. <laughs> but I live in L.A. where, you know, you can get space cakes if you'd like, just down the street. So uh, we will talk in the business end about the U.S. game against Grenada. And I just want to get, you know, we'll, we'll talk in depth. You know, there's so many compelling stories. I, I, I stopped to think of how the life of Jesus Ferreira has changed so much. You know, he signed a huge lucrative contract. He's making great money. And now after so many other guys were given a, a shot at that striker, number nine, more appropriately, forward job, Daryl DK, Josh Sargent, Jossie Zardes, Matthew Hoppy, Ricardo Pepe. And I'm just scratching the surface there. There were so many more that the job seems to be his. And we ride him a fair bit, and for good reason, because he uh, he doesn't convert as much. And that's weird to say for a guy who scored just four goals, scored four goals against Grenada. But um, that's it. We have to hold him at a high standard. But he's unless something odd happens, he's going to be starting that first game against Wales. And uh, the one thing I, I'm impressed by him, yeah, he needs to finish those chances. And look, if he finished... Against if he scored against Uruguay, that goal that was hit right into Fernando Muslera, if he scores that goal, then the conversation's changed because he's scored against a big opponent and people are like, okay, we can trust him. Because then you figure he could have had seven goals in the game against Grenada. He, and that's what I'll talk about Marcelo because no other forward in the U.S. camp will help create that many chances. It's just the way he plays and collaborates and finds those positions. I think if Haji Wright was playing, he'd probably get two really good chances, but he's not getting seven. And that's Grenade, obviously, but maybe it's down to two or one in these World Cup games. And that's the problem. You get one chance for Jesus Ferreira, you can't build up to it. But what a compelling story as we see uh, what is going on with that. I will say this. I'm looking at all the teams in the World Cup, the 31 other teams, and at least half, if not more, have a similar dilemma with their forward. You know, we know about Robert Lewandowski, you know, Erling Haaland, not at the World Cup is another big name that you would think about. Lautaro Martinez is a guy you'd put up there. Gabriel Jesus, these are forwards that are going to produce. But you go further down the list and there's question marks, even with established guys. Harry Kane, what's going on? Romelu Lukaku, what's going on? 
Our first opponent, Wales. They don't even play with a number nine. I wouldn't presume it will be probably Bale and James pushing up on the flanks from wide positions. So not having a number nine. I mean, this is, the game has changed a lot. You know, every sport changes. You know, they don't have centers anymore in the NBA. And then maybe the number nine is a diminished role where the goals come from elsewhere, come from the midfield, come from the wings. Now, that said, if Jesus Ferreira scores a goal or two, then we are cooking with gas. But we will follow it. And I will say this. We have these, I mean, I've had, I mean, it's been just stomach-turning conversations on Twitter about preconceived ideas of players. You know, people don't want to see Christian Roldan or Paul Ariola or uh, Jordan Morris get more chances. And Aaron Long is on that list. And Jesus Ferreira is on that list. And they all have something in common. They're all based in MLS, yes. So I just want people to say this. Let's just have a, let's watch this El Salvador game and leave all the baggage at the door. Do not bring that into the game. If you think Aaron Long hasn't performed, give him a chance. Same with Ferreira, same with Paul Ariola. By the way, I think Jordan Morris is not going to make the team. He was poor against Grenada. And that's why Paul Ariola figured things out. Paul Ariola kept probing and probing, and eventually they broke down the grenade in defense. That's how the sport works, right? Christian Roldan's another one. And we're going to look at the construct of World Cup teams, and you will see that there are going to be guys on every team, whether it's France, Brazil, that may not be in the best 23 players that country has to offer, maybe the 40th best player, but they find a role here because of things that they can do elsewhere. Maybe Christian Roldan's one of those guys. It would be odd if Christian Roldan's the last guy to make it and you pull the rug on him to bring in a, a Conrad de la Fuente, one of these guys that hasn't been around. Uh, it just, it's weird. You don't, you don't do that. Because it affects the other players. Because they know that Roldan's been there. And all of a sudden you're switching it. And guy goes, hey, I'm here. Did you ever see the movie Miracle? When they brought in the player? And the group said, no, this is our team. So, leave the baggage at the door. And let's enjoy this game. And then, uh, I think, we, and we'll talk to Marcelo right now. You'll see things are on the up and up. So, let's get it going. The business end coming your way next with Marcelo Balboa. Stick around for a stoppage time. And the Nations League, rate, review, subscribe, download, tell a friend, check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos. Vamos. Copenhagen. We're back here on the Soccer OG and an honor to welcome in just a, a wonderful resource for the sport in this country as a player, as a broadcaster in two languages. Very few people are doing that. Marcelo Balboa, uh, former U.S. international, and now for Tudene, who called USA Grenada, joining me here. And Marcelo, I know I've told you this before. Maybe, maybe I have to repeat it, but one of my favorite memories is the 94 World Cup, USA Switzerland, inside the Pontiac. It was a Pontiac Silverdome, right? Yep, yep, yep. And when all the scores that goal and then the replay on it goes to you, everyone's celebrating on one end and then you turn and celebrate with Miola and have your moment there. And I just remembered that. And I just, it's like ingrained in my head. Just the, the, the 30 seconds of that goal and the celebration. Ah, you know, it's, um, 
when Ronaldo scored, he was taken off. I wasn't catching him. So <laughs> I figured the closest guy was Tony. We were organized in the back. So I'm going to go celebrate with my keeper, which I know it can't outrun me like Ronaldo can. So it was just easier to go celebrate with the guy who we needed that goal. We gave up a goal. We needed that goal. And I think that took a little bit of pressure off Tony too. Do you have, I mean, you ever think about that journey on 94? Cause I, I've talked to people. I was talking to Andres Cantor about it. And cause he was like, that was my introduction to realizing what I wanted to do for a living. Yeah. And it was the, you, I mean, there was obviously the, the Mexican side, which I was intrigued by. And then some of the surprises I saw Risto Stoichkov down at two then. And I talked to him about yep. it. Um, how much do you look back at the, and, and how much is <laughs> photographed in your mind about game one, all the way to the Brazil game? Um, there's always little gaps here and there. The older you get, you forget a few things, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that the beauty of it is when we get together, we talk about sometimes the old times, but 94 was just a, a special moment for us as players, for fans, I think for soccer, because we didn't know. And listen, we went to the 90 World Cup and it was our first World Cup and we knew what that was like. Now, this was our first second World Cup, but it was our first World Cup hosting. So the the pressure of the having to be soccer players to be PR guys, because that's what we had to do. If you looked at what Winalda had to do and Lexi and Kobe and uh, Caligiri. So we wore a lot of hats. So when you, we go back and talk about this, I think the things we take out of it were what a great time it was, how people embraced and enjoyed the soccer and saw that there is an opportunity in the mm -hmm. United States to have a league and to start a league because the fans were there. And again, we got uh, fortunate here and there because beating Colombia was was a very fortunate thing for us because we we haven't done that very often to get into the next round and kind of put I guess the the next phase of World Cup and soccer on on the national stage playing against the best in the world and that was Brazil. I just yeah, there's the, so many clear episodes where look when you look back at that group. Colombia was picked by Pele to win it. Yeah. And that was a, a super, I, I mean, I think about that team. It was one of my favorite teams that unfortunately didn't really go far yeah. just because I knew all the players. It was a fascinating group that did yep. so well in 90 and the 94. Yep. And then Switzerland was a really steady team. It was a really good Swiss team. Yep. Yep. Stefan Chapuisad and uh, Alain Suter. And then the Romania team, which uh, they won the group, I believe, right? When they, they, I believe they did because they beat Colombia and they beat us at the end. So yes, they were. They were. I mean, no one would have seen that coming. It yeah. was just, and they had a nice run. Yep. Uh, and for you guys to find a way through, and I, you know, when we look back at the history of the World Cup, the Colombia game for good reasons and not so great reasons is yeah. one of the most. You know, uh, this was one of the most significant games in World Cup history, if in my opinion, whether you're American or not, just because of what it meant for a host nation and obviously what it meant for Colombia. And then getting a point against the Swiss and then competing, you know, hammer and tongs with the eventual champions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty amazing when you, and I mean, I, maybe it, it, it doesn't hit you, but I, I think of it from a, as a fan's perspective. Yeah. How big it was. No, listen, it was big and we knew getting a tie. We, we, in our minds, we had a winner, a tie, probably a loss and then a winner, a tie in that group. So we're thinking we're going to have to play our lives against Romania. And for us to 
have been able to have beat. They were the number one team in the world. And then they beat Argentina. They, everybody put them as the favorites to win. Um, you know, we got out of there, but I think the, and I think when you go back and you look at that game, we got out of there and maybe that was a little bit of our downfall. We celebrated like we actually won the group. We celebrated like we won the world cup. We were running around the fields, pouring water on each other. We're running around with flags. We're running through the, the, the long side, the rails where the fans were. So we, we took it to another level because we knew the importance of that game and maybe it affected us against Romania a little bit, but the, the storylines when you walked into that U.S. team and that U.S. group, how we lived together for almost a year and a half, how at the last minute guys were getting cut and guys from Europe were being brought in, it, uh, it, it would have made for an interesting documentary, that's for sure. <laughs> I know uh, the, guy, the men in Blazers and Roger Bennett did one of 98 yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, that was fascinating. And then you look at the success of 94 and yeah. 2002 and then 2010 was a success 2014 yep. was a success yep it's all goes into the pot now we're here in 2022 and uh no one really knows what to expect i i, I want to get your thoughts on grenada but i mean just looking at these games in is overall do you feel i personally feel a little better about this team than when i did after the final qualifier against costa rica for obvious reasons that was yeah they got in, but it wasn't a good performance. Yeah. But beating Morocco pretty comfortably, yeah. hanging with Uruguay, even though it was kind of a B team, although the A yeah. teamers came on, and now this Grenada yeah. game, it feels like they're 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 finding a nice groove. And and the group of guys that are there, we know who they are, and there's a there's a comfort level about. And the, 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 to me, the odds are getting a little better for them as we look ahead to November. I think the odds are, are great, actually, if you look at what they've done. Um, you look at the group and you say to yourself, like England's clear favorite after that, we're right up there with the average age of, I believe, I believe it's 22, 23 years old going into this World Cup. Um, I never doubted that we would qualify. So my concern has always been is you've played a good group with Morocco, a good team with Morocco. You played Uruguay. The problem now is you've got two big international windows left and you're playing Nations League. You know what I mean? It's not like Nations League in Europe. It's not like playing Copa America. It, it's a step that's below the level that I think the U.S. would want to play at this point of the season because you're still testing players. You still have to try players out. we got to see what Haji can do up top as a nine. So there's a lot of things I think you want to test. But on the other hand... You don't have time to test. <laughs> you don't. You have. You have, but you have, you've got to make the best out of what Grenada brought. And yeah. I think the best of what we got is we talk about a guy like Jesus Ferreira. When you talk about a guy like that, he needs to score. Well, he needed to score in that game, and he proved he can score in that game, scoring four. So that's a huge test for him. That opens a door for him to possibly now maybe get a start in September to see what he could do at a higher level away from home. But uh, I think Greg Berthalter's done a good job, and the players have done a good job of keeping focused. I've been on the road with them up until two days ago, and uh, they're focused. They know what they want to do. When you walk around camp and we're doing interviews, Every guy is saying that they feel that they have a shot of, of, of winning this thing, not getting out of the group. We in 90, 94, 98, we're like, if we can get out of the group, a lot of these guys are like, we're not playing in a tournament just to be participants. We're going there. We want to win it. And I love that attitude. Even I think it was Aaronson the other day said something. We fear nobody. They should fear us. Hmm. So I, I like that attitude. I do. But here's the concern. First game against in uh, in uh, World Cup qualifiers against Salvador Concacaf, they they didn't really play too well, did they? 
no. that game. Yeah. They, they so look now, intimidated by the moment. Exactly. Now imagine taking that 10 times higher playing in a world cup and you will have possibly not one player with any world cup experience, mm. except maybe Yedlin. If he steps on the field, yep. if not, you'll have 11 players. Who do you lean on with that experience? Who can you lean on to help you through those moments? That's what worries me a little bit. That's all. But you need that experience. And I, I yeah, you got to, you have to fake it a little bit. Cause like you said, you're not going to have it, which I think is, I think is great in the sense that they're committed to this group, which is obviously an eye on yeah. 2026, but you're here. You don't know. Things could go well. Yeah. And uh, how do you think they find that, that experience? I mean, some of these guys are getting wiser and, and smarter with the way they play on the international level, much more than we saw against El Salvador. There's growth yeah. there. Yeah. Where, do you, where do you think they find that? Where do you, where can you kind of create a, a, a sense of experience? I don't think you can, you can, yeah, you either have it or you don't that experience. So these kids are, and it's that fine line of arrogant, cocky. I don't feel that. I feel like this team believes in itself. I feel this team believes in if, if Christian's having a bad day, then Wea will pick it up. If those guys are bad, you've got a Weston McKinney can pick up a Tyler Adams, a Musa. So there's enough bodies on this field that I think that if you stop one, even a Reina when he's back healthy. So I think that the, the thing that Bert Halter said from day one is the group will always be more important than one individual player. So for in order for them to do well in this World Cup, that will be tested in those three first-round games. He's a, maybe it sounds a bit cliche, but I believe him at face value. When he said something ahead of the Grenada game, or I believe it was ahead of the Grenada game, where he said, this is such a tight group that when we announce these, these teams, these players who make it, well, there's gonna, it's, everyone's going to be devastated because they're not going to be thinking about making the World Cup. They're going to be thinking about the guys that didn't because that's the yeah. And you even touched on it, but that's the collective yeah. feeling yeah. that they have. And I, I, it comes through. You can see the way they celebrate. When Jesus yeah. Pereira scored those goals in Austin, the way the subs gathered around him and Tim Weah was screaming like he just opened up presents under yep. the Christmas tree. Yep. They were, <laughs> so yeah. I, I buy it. I think, and there's something to that which could serve them well. That well, listen, togetherness. The, the nine, and you know it, you're in the media. Everybody's been talking about the nine for the last six months maybe eight months with Pepe and this and that. So for Freire to score, you can see the weight that it took off his shoulders, the way he celebrated and screamed in front of, I think it was 18,000 people. You could still hear him on the bench screaming. That's how much pressure that took off that young man. So I don't, again, is the nine, do we have an outright killer, a goal scorer? We don't. So the goals are going to come from everywhere. They're going to come from Ariola. They're going to come from where they're going to come from Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Musa. So the, the important thing for me is, is can they weather a 15 to 20 minute storm that Wales is going to put on them, that England's going to put on them? Can they bounce out of that? And I think they can. I really do. Um, but again, listen, we talk about a tight group. Tell me who right now out of the, there's 26 going, who do you really leave off that list? It would be a surprise. That's the, that's the, I mean, most of these guys have been with this group for the last two yeah. years. So they're really, I don't think they'll really be a surprise that's going to be not making this roster. Yeah. And uh, it seems like it's pretty close to, and Greg Berhalter mentioned he's like around 20 guys on the group. Yeah. I, I imagine he's probably close to the 26. He knows. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty there. But the number nines is a conversation. And uh, I'm not saying that that secured it for Jesus Fedeta, but I was listening to you on the broadcast on 
through then. And yeah. when he missed the early chances, he had two chances that he should have put away. Yep. And the conversation comes up. It's got to finish. And then he did. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, because the other games, even he, although he has four goals, you still have to talk about the close calls they didn't control. Yeah. There's another, there's other teams that are struggling with their number nines in this world cup. And I, I, it's not a strong point. Wales don't have a number nine. Harry Kane struggling. No. Yep. Uh, Lukaku struggling for some of these yep. teams. Uh, so maybe you'll get your goals from elsewhere. But is it is it to me? Fededa is going to be the guy at least for the opener. Um, maybe Ricardo Pepe, if he gets hot, can come challenge. We haven't seen enough of Haji Wright, so yeah. I don't know who else it could be. It seems like it's his his job, but I but you kind of approach it as. Uh, we're not going to, we're going to win, but we hope we get a goal from number nine, but we're trying to get it from anywhere. We're just trying to get the results. Yeah. I think when you look at Bert Halter's system, um, the idea is he's got to fill a role defensively first. Can he do the work? Can he help us defend? Does he know where to go? And that's why I think Jazzy Zarda has had a great opportunity until he got hurt because he understands Greg Bert Halter's system, how to defend, how to pressure, and now that Nico Seves has gone to Dallas, look at the transition that Nico has had under Dallas. Assistant coach of the national team, he left the national team, he became the head coach of Dallas. Ariola, the success. They know the system now. They know it inside and out. So it would be an obvious, easy choice to put Ferreira in because he understands everything. You know what I mean? But to going back to your point, you're not going to get six chances, seven chances, eight chances in this World Cup. You're going to get two chances maybe good chances in a game and you got to finish those. And when Ferreira had those two chances, he mishit the ball, he hit it at the keeper. So I get it. Listen, he scored four goals and I think it's awesome. More credit to him because not a lot of people have done that. I think a handful of people have done that before, but he's got to show now that he can score in tight games, in big games, Uruguay, Morocco, uh, the two teams they play in September. He's got to score in a big game for me, not just do the defensive work, He's got to be a threat on goal at least once or twice and put one away in those games. He, so he had a couple good looks against Morocco. He had the one yep. shot against Uruguay, which went to the keeper. Then there was one that he missed the header. And then I counted seven chances <coughs> that he had against yep. Grenada. And I, I wonder if any other of these strikers, whether it's Pepe or Haji Wright, would be able to create or not. I'm not saying he created or be, part of the creation of seven chances. Yeah. Because that's a lot. But I, I think no. the way he works with the team, he puts yeah. himself in position where he can get these chances. You got to convert them. Yeah. But maybe others wouldn't have had seven guilt edge chances like he did. He's definitely had more opportunities to in the starting lineup. Um, I don't think Haji still has the way Greg Berthalter wants to play defensively and into the attack. So I think we may see him against Salvador, which would be an interesting test for him to see if he can do it in that game. We don't talk about Josh Sargent anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Jazzy Sardis got hurt. He's not being really killing. So you're really looking at... DK's hurt too. That's the other one. DK's hurt. So you're really looking at Jesus. You're looking at Haji right now. You're looking at Pepe, maybe Peekoff, and and, and maybe one more out of, the, out of that, those five. You probably got to take three. Mm-hmm in that group. So again, I think it's going to be, and I know you love this because he's your boy, Hercules. He's going to have to pull a Hercules Gomez. <laughs> hey, you get hot. You get hot as Hercules. You get yeah. hot at the right time. You're you get in. hot at the right time. You're in and you're a starter. And he yeah. took advantage of it. 
So that's the life of a forward. A defender, you can have a game or two, whatever. But a goal scorer, you catch fire at the right time, man. Or, or someone gets hurt, Pablo Mastriani. Armis goes down. You know what I mean? Anything could happen. So uh, a hot striker in the next two to three months could be a guy we're looking at. That's really interesting. And I think, like, say, Pepe gets everything yeah. right at Augsburg, a few league games in October, and he's got, like, five or six goals. And, of course, yep. this, is, this is pie in the sky. Then you'd be crazy to say, wait, he's hot. We need someone hot. Sorry, Jesus. Well, Pepe's going to get in there and start. And I don't think it would surprise too many people. So, no, I, a hot forward is a guy that's yeah. going to start. You got to, you got to play your hand. You got to roll the dice. Midfield. And one thing you also said, which I thought was interesting <coughs> in the broadcast, because everyone's trying to find a spot for Brendan Aronson. Where would that be? We should start him. I would agree with that. He's been good enough to start, but where? When you have Adams, Musa, McKinney. Yeah. And Adams is a ball winner that you really need. Musa's been fantastic. Now Luca Della Torre had a man of the match <coughs> performance. Yep. Yep. But you said Weston McKinney's in that eleven, even though he hasn't played well. He's he has built the the resume where, yeah. regardless of how he looks in these games, he's going to be in there regardless. There's no Listen. way a starting eleven comes out against Wales without McKinney. He'll be in the 26, 100. Now, before he broke his leg. Did we even talk about Aronson in the midfield or anybody else in the midfield? We said we had the threesome in the midfield down, done. That's how well Weston, Weston McKinney was playing, right? Now, all of a sudden, he comes back from, he's coming back from an injury. It's going to take him time to get his fitness back. He played 45 minutes here, 45 minutes there. When Weston McKinney is fit, should, do we need to go back to the Nations League game? How good he was in that game against Mexico? Do we need to go back to some of these games? Listen. Aronson is a good player and you can play him inside as a 10. You can play him outside, but in a world cup game, you've got to have guys that are going to come off the bench and be impact players. You're not going to start your same team all three games. So can you play a Weston? Can you play an Aronson uh, second game? Yeah, you can, but imagine, imagine a, just for instance, a Reina coming off the bench and an Aronson. Can they change the game for you? Oh Yeah. Okay, let's go that's the other a, way. That's a strength right yeah, there. That's exactly. A, that's a, re, a luxury very few World Cup teams would have. Exactly. Okay, so let's say Reina starts. Okay, and let's say Aronson starts. Can Weston McKinney and, and, and Tim Weah change a game for you? 100% they can. So you've got to have players that are coming off the bench that can that are starters, but that will also make an impact in the game because you're going to need those players in a World Cup game. So will they get to start? Sure, they'll get their starts because three games, you're not going to start the same starting 11 every game. Things happen, but um, you you got to look at who can change a game for you. If you're down one nothing against England, who can change a game for you? If Way is on the field, Pulisic and Jesus, who can change the game for you? Aronson and Reyna can change a game for you. So I think that Weston McKinney, when you look at that three, when Weston is 100% fit, and we'll see by September and he's playing his games already, I can't see somebody breaking into Tyler Adams, Musa, or Weston McKinney, unless there's an injury. Yeah, that's. I would be surprised if it's not that. But think yeah. about a bench. You need a goal. Offensively, Reina, let's assume it's Wea, Pulisic, Ferreira. You have a bench where you can yeah. draw off Reina and Aronson and possibly yeah. a, a second forward, Pepe or yep. Haji Wright. And then you could have yep. a Della Torre or a Kellen Acosta in the midfield. Yep. That's nice. <laughs> options man yeah. options look at how deep this team is yeah look how deep this team is and that's what you got to love because listen some games as a personnel you don't maybe you don't fit that game your your style's not there you're not you're off a little bit 
to have a guy like De La Torres you can put into the game, to have a guy like Arrington you can throw in the midfield, or a guy even like, like Gio, you can throw Gio in the midfield. So the, the, the very fortunate of what Berthalter has to pick from because it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult to see, okay, I'm going to start this group, but these guys can be impacted. Do I, do I start this guy? You know what I mean? It's, it's a puzzle piece, and you got to figure it out. But, again, I, I, I have a hard time thinking Pulisic on the left, way on the right right now, the way they've been playing. I, I, unless Reyna comes back 100%, maybe that will change. Midfield locked in. Back line, Robinson, Zimmerman, blank, and Dest, right? <laughs> I like that but blank it's guy. He's <laughs> but it's, it's a blank. It's a blank right now because they're fighting for that spot. And then if Serginho Dest comes back healthy, it's him. Go to the goalkeeper. All three goalkeepers are going to be Man City, probably not going to play much, right? Then you've got, uh, you've got Arsenal and Turner. What yeah. happens if he doesn't play? And then you've got Ethan Horvath, who is potentially right now the number one goalkeeper Could be. on his team. Could so be. The, to me, there's three spots that people are going to fight for to be on that field. And it's a goalkeeper, it's a, it's a center back, and it's the nine. Yeah, and it's still too many loose ends to really figure yeah. that out. So yep. I should ask you about your, your expertise. One of the great center backs this country's produced. And we got to talk about blank. And you, you talked you talk to Lexi then, not me. <laughs> I've talked to Lexi in the past. <laughs> it's, it, it's you two at the top of the list, certainly. Uh, I, from what I saw, I like Aaron Long as a defender. And yeah. he's in a weird mile. But this is where I have to give credit to Miles Robinson because he played well when he was with Zimmerman. He played well when he was with Richards. Yep. Because Long looks good. Cameron Carter-Vickers, to me, looks good on their own merits. The problem I see is when they're partnering. Long and Zimmerman, there's a lot of conversations about where yeah. they need to be. And the same thing with Cameron Carter-Vickers and Long yep. against Grenada, even though they didn't have a lot to defend. Yeah. But there's something there that the, the, the partnership is not clicking. Individually, they look good. Partners together, that's where it gets a little worrisome. So even though they haven't scored a goal, this is freaking people out. And people Aaron yeah. Long is the is the is the the embodiment of the angry fan that wants a young player in there to yeah. get those minutes. I would love it. It was Chris Richards, but he's hurt. Yeah. We've got to see. So how do we address Oof. blank? <laughs> I think you got to look at Zimmerman's a lock if he stays healthy. Okay. Yeah. So Zimmerman playing with Cameron Carter Vicker was a lot of communication because they're trying to get to understand each other. You just don't jump on the field and have a chemistry. When you have a partner, it takes time to study his movements. He pushes up, you cover. There's a lot of communication going on. That's why you saw Zimmerman talking a lot. Um, Long and Zimmerman were partners on the national team until Aaron Long got hurt. Then they had to go find Miles Robinson. So Zimmerman and Long have that chemistry already. It's just a matter of getting Long fit. And I mean international game fit, not MLS fit. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a little higher level. And he's getting there. I think he's looking better and better. I think it'll come down to Richards and it'll come down to Long. Who's ever in better form at that time and whoever has a better communication with Zimmerman and works well with Zimmerman will be the starter. But I think it's going to come down to Aaron Long and I think it's going to come down to Richards to see if he can, if he can come back healthy. And we don't know about Richards because it looks he was at Hoffenheim, but it looks like he's yep. going back to Bayern. Can he play at Bayern? If he did, he's he's playing in the World Cup, but we don't know if yeah. he's going to be able to get it or if he goes off on another club. He just needs everyone needs minutes at this point. Yeah. And I spoke to Charles Bohm, Charles Bohm on our last my last podcast, and we talked about yep. Aaron Long and how people 
weren't resentful of him for whatever reason. I don't understand what it's all about. Yeah. But <coughs> before he got, before he ruptured his Achilles, everyone yeah. kind of looked at him like, oh, this is a big prospect. He's getting talk yeah. with West Ham. I remember West Ham. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And now it seems like things have changed. And it's not really fair, but uh, I'm, I'm relieved he's there. I'm relieved that he's an option because without him, obviously yeah. you'd have to open the conversation with John Brooks if anything happened. Yeah. But the, the, it gets, the, the list gets really short after that. It does, but guys. Yeah, but remember, I came back. I played in the 90 World Cup, coming back off an MCL tear, barely made the team. 94, I tore my ACL, barely made the team and played. So it takes, it took me six months to recover physically from a from an injury. It took me another six months to get back mentally. And I mean in getting back the confidence that I could play the way I used to play. So it's going to take him a little time. He's going to question himself a few times. And I think we've seen it throughout these games, but that's okay. That's part of the process. Um, He's coming back off an injury. So no one's going to touch him right now. That's just reality when you come back off an injury, but the way he's starting to play again, and he's getting minutes with the national team. If he is the center back come September and the two friendlies, you will see. And if the U S has a good work, his name will be thrown back into the mix of Europe wherever you know germany england whatever he's got that much potential yeah you know i mean a little, a little bit older there but he does have it's okay he's, he's got he's potential. a serviceable guy yeah he's he's a hard worker he's a good one-on-one defender he's good in the air so he there would be a lot of teams i think they would be interested in him but i still think richards I, for some reason richard has that just that little nudge for me because watching yeah. him play he's a little good. bit his composure, him on the ball. And yeah, he made a few passing mistakes, but those are nerves because he hasn't played that much. So again, I, I, I like Richards. I, I, he, he, he's an interesting center back for me. Yeah, that's good to hear because I did see him hit a learning curve, but then he felt yeah. he looked very comfortable, more yep. comfortable than I thought he would look. I thought there'd be more uh, growing pains, but he seemed to overcome that and settle in. He's, and all of a sudden, oh, we're good with him. He's good. So yeah. Uh, hopefully he he answered that. You know, Jesus yep. Fadeda, he if he bags a goal or two in the World Cup, he's gonna be heading. I know he does very well contract-wise in Dallas, but yeah, there's gonna be clubs that are gonna be looking at him, maybe in in Europe, maybe in Mexico. Franchise, uh, franchise tag, uh designated player tag. He's not going anywhere for a while, my friends. He's not going anywhere for a while. Things have changed since when you played with the Rapids. <laughs> things, things have changed. There's bylaws and this and that rule. My man is an FC Dallas player for a while, yeah. which is good for FC Dallas and good it's for good, this league. It's good yeah. for the league. I feel good yeah. for guys that are making bank, like Zimmerman with yeah. his new contract and some other guys. Hey, That's the way it's supposed to be. About time they pay a freaking center back $2.5 Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Got to get that money for the commentary. That's what I'm thinking. But, yeah, uh, good to, luck with that. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, goalkeeper, I, I think it's just a, a situation of let's see who who plays against the minutes, and it might be Horvath, Turner. I, I think people are thinking about getting a loan. I think it's possible for Stefan, but am I wrong in thinking that uh, <coughs> Turner would be crazy if he arrives at Arsenal, gets this training, and says, "I want to go out." The first few months he's been with the club. Yeah. And says, I yeah. want to go on loan. He can't. He's got to be there at least for a season. Why? Um, I don't know. Do you think you he goes to go? Get me out. I got to go on loan. But here's the deal. But here's the deal. Just because you're going to go on loan, there's no guarantee you're starting. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's, you know what I mean? Unless there's an, a deal done. So I would think he's going to go all through preseason. 
I think he's going to fight for that number one spot. And if he doesn't get it, then I think the conversation will be had of loaning him out because you can't let him, if he just sits on the, imagine Arsenal, Manchester city playing, and they're both sitting on the bench and haven't played in six or seven games. (laughs) Not good. Just imagine of all three. Now imagine that let's say Horvath ends up on the bench, all three on the bench. Do you look at Sean Johnson now, who's been getting every minute of every game with NYCFC and MLS? And could stop a penalty. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, this, this is, I think that, that to me, if could be a nightmare for Bert Halter, especially yeah. if all three are not playing much. In a reserve team game, I, I, it's still it's a high quality game, but it's not playing uh, on a Saturday against Manchester United or Man City or Arsenal. So that could be a nightmare for, for Greg if that happens. I think Greg, he's got to eliminate the nightmare list. There's gonna be there's he has three or four of them right now. If he can get that down to one by the World Cup, he's done well. So he's like, okay, this is the this is my nightmare <laughs> list. I just don't know about a goalkeeper who's played, but everything else has resolved itself. Then he'll be in good shape. I think he's close. I, listen, yeah, I, I think, think he's close. For Ferreira's a nine. I think Weston's the the eight, the double eight. Center back is a question, and goalkeeper really. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we. We talked about there's three games left and there's reports it's going to be two Asian teams. We've heard yep. Saudi Arabia, Japan, which to me is great. But now yep. El Salvador, which we kind of lumped into Grenada, but traveling there uh, against a team that was improved in qualifying, a yep. team that's really fit. I, w- I mean, people, Hugo Perez is coming in there yep. uh, and got this team to where they, they challenge you and work really hard. So yep. it's it's a it's a better challenge for sure than Grenada. Yeah. Um, Chance you send Haji right? I, th- I think a couple guys will get it, probably a sniff there uh, yep. at some point. But this is this is good. This should really be lifted a little bit more as a test, not to Morocco Uruguay standard, but certainly better than Grenada. Bigger, bigger, bigger than you know Morocco. Why? Right now, yeah, because we keep playing at home. Yes, we keep playing at home, and it's easy to play. Not it's not easy to play at home, but the comforts of our own hotels, our training facilities. Everything about it, our fans, everything about it. Now you're going into a hot, humid, thick grass um, stadium that's a little run down, locker rooms that are run down. Um, and you've got to go in there with a different mindset. You've already, this is almost like a revenge match for me because you've had your chance. You went into the very first game of qualifiers and you, you looked nervous. You didn't play well. You didn't get the result. You got a tie. Great but everybody's expecting us to win. So I think this is an opportunity to go back and show how much the U S has improved over the last year of playing on the road. So great opportunity to go in there, show Salvador. This is what we were back then. This is who we are now. We're going to play our full team. That's what I would love to see to go get a result in Salvador. That's a a great point, Marcelo. And just to think about, how they looked when they traveled to Central America and they yep. traveled to Mexico and it was always heavy lifting. Yep. Except for that second half against Honduras, it was always a grind. Yep. And if yep. we can see a game here and it doesn't feel like a grind, yep. that'll feel like progress. 100%. My, my feeling is it's going to be a grind. <laughs> and listen, it's going to be a grind because I can't play the style of football they want to play. So go to the Mexico game. I thought they did well in Mexico, but yep. they've matured. That was a step forward. The, the, the Honduras game, Honduras fell apart. We got to them. Great. This is that next step. Can you do it in El Salvador when you know the field's not going to be great, hard, bouncy, all over the place? 
So what have you learned in CONCACAF in the last year of playing on the road? Do you just a side note here? Do you feel good because you're going to play teams that are going to give you possession? They're going to do that against Wales. They did that uh, against Grenada. Um, when they played Morocco, were you, were you as uh, enthused as I was when you saw a team that got to play and how free flowing and easy, not easy, but effective they looked in that kind of capacity against a team that says, all right, we're going to, we're going to leave you a little space. We're not going to all yeah. play that low block. Cause they'll get that too in the world cup. And they look comfortable in, in that role. That game was perfect for the U S because Morocco wanted to open up. Morocco wanted to run. Morocco wanted to get the ball wide. They wanted to get down the lines. So that left a lot of space, especially when they played three in the back that left a lot of space for Christian to move. That gave way a time to come inside. Ferreira would drop in. Look how many times Ferreira dropped in almost as a 10, and Pulisic went into that nine slot. And that's how the first goal came, right? We dropped him into the midfield. Pulisic came from the outside, came into that nine spot, ball over the top. He collects it. There's Ferreira and Aronson. So um, I like the fact that Morocco came and tried to play. They didn't play a low block. They didn't try to double-team Pulisic. Pulisic looked comfortable. He looked like he was able to run at players. He was effective. They were able to control the midfield. Moose and Tyler Adams did a great job in the midfield. So were there a few lapses? Yeah. Let's be honest. If you go back to the first 15 minutes, Morocco could have potentially scored. They had two balls on top of the box. They didn't really hit well. But I like the fact that when teams come and play us, and not CONCACAF teams, they allow us to play. Just like Uruguay. Uruguay knocked it around. They did a good job. That made us have to defend in a low block. How many times have we had to defend in a blow lock? Very little we've defended in that block. So these are things that are going to happen in the World Cup. How many times in a World Cup do you see a team attacks, they drop off the midfield, and they wait there? Because they, you know what I mean? So uh, I think it was a great test, those two games for the U.S., to give them a little bit of what a World Cup game is going to be like. So in, in hindsight, it was a nice pair of games that they were able to get. Probably better than what Mexico got, certainly better than what Canada got in those two games before the Nations League. So uh, good, good for yeah, the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the Nations League, uh, and, you know, I see a lot of people, mostly on Twitter, and we're talking about ways to test the U.S. better because this Nations League is not going to do it because in the big picture of thing, I'm, I'm going to pull the Netherlands for an example. Yeah. They had three games in June. Yep. It was Bel at Belgium, yep. uh, at Wales, and then Poland at home. Three teams yep. that are going to the World Cup. Yep. Uh, festive audience crowds. Um, they're going to be better prepared than the U.S. with this Nations League. The Nations League, I'm going to talk about a little bit later, is yeah. has been a success, really, certainly in yeah. Europe, the way it's looked. Uh, what could we do? What could we do? I mean, we, there's nothing we can do in 2022, but the Nations League isn't going <laughs> anywhere. I think that is pretty clear. It's effective. Yeah. But how do we get better games? Because Grenada or yeah. Suriname or Curaçao, it's not going to help us close the gap. I mean, some people mentioned Comebol, but I don't think Comebol yeah. wants any part of CONCACAF right now. At least I, I don't. CONCACAF. Yeah. No, I, I don't see that being a part. Of, I mean, listen, would it be nice to mix in Nations League, South America, North America together and play those games, put all the groups together? And 100% that would be awesome. That would help us. And in Europe, they love Nations League because they don't have to worry about having to go get exhibition games because they've got those three games in, like you said. So there's got to be a better solution for Nations League. This group play, um, better competition. So 
I don't think it'll ever mix, but I, I do kind of agree. I would like to see that South America, North America, Nations League mixed together because then you can spread out enough teams besides, you know, the U.S., Panama, Mexico, Costa Rica, and you can have a playoff to have the other two or three group teams into that. And now I'm they go play that. Nations League. Yeah, but now that group of eight teams or 10 teams goes into Nations League with Argentina, Brazil. You know what I mean? I so I, I would love to see that, but I don't know how feasible it is. I know it's it's very lucrative right now, uh, Nations League for CONCACAF, so which is awesome because that's just what this is about. But it definitely doesn't help when you have to play in England, a, a Wales, and a uh, and in Iran, so you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, and, and and in defense of the Concacaf Nations League, the the two games they had in Denver, uh, yeah. your neck of the woods against Honduras and Mexico, yeah. started this whole thing off. Yep, they started the whole thing off in a very positive light. Yep. And now you know we get this Grenada part. All due respect to Grenada, I hope to visit one day. Yeah, but uh, you, you there's going to be some highs and lows, and it was good to see them take it seriously. And I think we we heard it through Greg Berhalter saying. We're the defending champs. We're serious about this. Yes. I'm not giving my lineup because I don't want to give their team an edge <laughs> where he gave the lineup a day before <laughs> the other two. So yep, yep. it's a balance you have to deal with. Listen, you have to make the best of every situation. Okay. The best thing you can do is make sure your team is mentally and physically prepared to play against Grenada. Cause the worst thing that can happen, you have everything to lose. They have nothing to lose. You go out there and you lose one or you win one, nothing people are wide in the U S win by more. So you got to give that team and Greg credit for that. Now the same thing, how can I get the best out of this game? And that's more than likely four, three, three, but we're going to press you in a different way. We're going to have different movements. They're working on set pieces, new set pieces with a new set uh, with uh, they have a new set piece coach who specifically works on, on the on the offensive side and the defensive side little by little here so i think there there's a lot of things you can get out of these games you just have to go in with the right mentality marcelo balboa what a incredible resource he is legendary player commentator uh in do the english and spanish thing man you're because english is your first language spanish you, you english, at home but you, I, I, english was first i my mom and dad learned it off tv i learned english and then uh, I reintroduced myself to Spanish later on. So it's getting, dude, you're really hitting your groove with it because that's hard. That's really hard. I it's, would, it's a lot I, of thinking. I, you, I know. And like, I think I, I would try it, but I would end up, my vocabulary would be very limited. My, my vocabulary is limited, but as, yes. as I'm with a group for two weeks, my vocabulary expands quickly, very quickly. <laughs> but when I go home to Denver, it gets very small again. So. I do my best, man. Yeah. I, I, I do my best. How's life in Denver treating you? It's uh, getting the outdoors. How's it's the dog? It's okay, buddy. The dog's great. Coda's doing great. I haven't seen him in uh, almost two weeks. It'll be oh. on the 15th. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a peaceful life. And, uh, and, and you try to make the best of every day. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm all down for peaceful life. I will be looking for peaceful life here sooner than later. There Just you go. 50, peaceful life is good. Two quick questions. It. Two go quick questions it. before I go. You can say yes or no. And it's just here, June, mid-June, what we think. Does the U.S. get out of the group? Yes. 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 England and uh, England and the U.S. get out of in, the group. In that order? Yes. Okay. I would, I would tend to, to – I, I like the U.S.'s chances. I feel better than a few weeks. Is there a yeah. team that you see, having seen all these Nation Leagues games and 
friendlies that you would put as the favorite right now in the World Cup? Oh, man. Um, you know, what you see now is not what you're going to get in September. Yeah. How many yeah. times have we seen Colombia be the number one team before the World Cup and then they're not in sync by the time to get to the World Cup? But uh, if I had to look at a team, and I hate to say it, but a team that kind of scares me a little bit, Brazil. Yeah. Brazil, right. with all the talent and all the names and players they have, throws me out there a little bit. France still, you look at the team they have and the players they have, they're not doing great right now in Champions League, in Nations League, but those, uh, those always just put a little bit of that extra bite, thinking to myself, those two to me could be the two favorites. I. I, I'm feeling comfortable that I, if I was, I'm not a gambler, but if there's a gambling thing that if you could pick two teams to win it, I'd say yeah. Brazil or Argentina. And I think one of them will <laughs> win it Okay. right now. If they win their groups, they'd play in the semis, but I'm going to say one of those two win it. But again, one of those two part. who knows, who knows? Those, all right. Hey, listen, you got to have favorites. No one's yeah. talking about Germany. No one's no. talking about Spain. Do we, do we I throw in a, an African team? Do we think in Ghana, maybe, you know what I mean? It's like, what, what, well, it's you know it's going to happen for an African team. I just don't know if it's who's now. the surprise. That's the question. Who's the surprise? Thought Morocco. I thought Morocco could be a surprise or Senegal. Yeah, out of those African teams, but Morocco being after how the way the U.S. looked against them, maybe I got to pump them. Yeah, but they won't. Up. But they won't play like that in the World Cup. They're not going to play that wide open, that spread out. They like that. No chance are they going to do that. So I think they experimented with something. I don't think it worked. I don't think we'll see that result again. It's going to be a fun World Cup. Can't yeah, it is. We're almost there. Marcelo, man, I appreciate you. This is the, the goods, and I, I hope you enjoy the conversation because you're going to get perspective from him that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Thanks for joining me in the business end, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. Later. Okay, this stoppage time coming up. We'll take a closer look at the Nations League. This is the Soccer OG. talking about Nations League. I mean, are we talking about Nations League? Yes, in fact, we are. The Nations League, which we talked a little bit with Marcelo on the business. And now in stoppage time, we take a bigger look at what is going on, specifically in UEFA, but also in CONCACAF, where, as we mentioned at the very end of that interview, the United States and Greg Berhalter are approaching it like it's a tournament that matters. It's a tournament that helped kickstart all of this, this World Cup qualifying. I was there in that game in Denver, and, uh, you know, it was just one of the better atmospheres I can remember. It was absolutely pulsating. It felt like something important, and, you know, it was part of the United States picking away and just dominating the series with Mexico over the last three games, four games, including the Nations League. Gold Cup, it all set it off. It was all the beginning. So great memory. So we have to be respectful of the Nations League. No? Even though it starts with Grenada, um, Greg Berhalter would not give the lineup because he didn't want to give an edge to his opponent. Remember, he gave the lineups before for Uruguay and Morocco a day early. So this is different. And this El Salvador game now feels a little bigger, with a bigger wrinkle. And you don't want to lose it. So... Is this the best way to prepare for a World Cup of the United States? No. Are you falling off the back tire of some of these teams in Europe and these South American teams that are picking up games worldwide? I mean, Brazil and Argentina are doing these world tours. And uh, the Brazilians are, uh, you know, just destroying South Korea. And I think they played Japan. And Argentina played Italy in the Finalissima and then Estonia. And then it's going to keep going. 
Uh, Uruguay getting games here with Mexico and the USA and Panama. Uh, Ecuador playing here. I mean, it would be nice to get more of these South American teams playing USA, Mexico, Canada, and Costa Rica. Best of luck to the Ticos as they will get New Zealand, Peru playing Australia. And then our World Cup is complete. So those games, I think, are pretty early morning, Tuesday morning and Wednesday or afternoon if you're on the East Coast. So uh, we need those games. It's too late here in 2022, but we're looking at the Nations League. We, it was an experiment at the time. And we we're trying to get rid of these friendlies. And they have. The Nations League has been a success. If you're watching these games... You will see packed houses. You will see enthused fan bases. You'll see teams playing with close to their A-side because it matters. There's price tag involved. There's prize money. It's not, it's not pennies on the dollar either. It's a good amount of cash that these teams will be winning that makes it big. Uh, France won it, and when we got to the semifinals, it felt like a big event, right? So this is one. Um, the funding for these teams is League A, which is the 16 teams at the top. You get you know, two and a half million dollars per team. One and a half in League B. I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot when you're talking about. Um, but there's, there's chances to add to it. Uh, a finalist in 2019 that Portugal were the champs took home a total of 10 million. The Netherlands, nine. So these are euros, by the way. So there's money. And then the friendlies is such an ugly word. Friendlies is an ugly word. So, just the games that we see. We saw uh, Belgium, Netherlands. We saw France, Croatia, a repeat of the Euro final, the World Cup final. We saw, did we see England? We saw England, Italy, a a repeat of the Euro final. So, all these teams are getting three games in June. And I told you what the Netherlands did. England, for instance played at Hungary. England's got some struggles, man. I mean, we can't look into these three games too much, but they can't score goals. They scored one goal in three games, but they played Hungary, they played at Germany, and then they tied Italians. So these this gives these countries an edge. And I think the European teams need that edge because they're heading into a World Cup where it's going to be different for them, where they have to get out of their comfort zones. Qatar is going to provide some challenges that I think the European teams will, will it'll affect them a little bit more. And there's going to be an opportunity for some other teams to, to get over. By the way, for me, as we head through this month of June, Brazil and Argentina look like the best two teams. I don't think there's anyone up on them on third. The European teams, are, all of them, all the big European teams in these Nations League had highs and lows, whereas Argentina and Brazil continue to rip through every competition, including European competition in the case of Argentina. But uh, this Nations League is going to continue to grow. This is the uh, third edition. Um, they'll have qualifying for Euro 2024. We don't know how that would look like, but if you can combine the Nations League into qualifying for Euro 2024, then this Nations League takes another level. So we don't know exactly what that's going to look like just yet. So uh, that's a wait and see. Um we do know we're going to get a champion out of this. The Group A, you know, it's, you know, France, Denmark, Croatia, Austria, Spain, Portugal, Switzerland, the Czechs, Italy, Germany, England, Hungary. There's relegation. Everyone loves relegation and promotion from group to group. League B is pretty good. I mean, you, we, I saw Sweden, Norway, and these are two teams that aren't going to the World Cup, and I was 
just tr- tremendously entertained. And there was a lot of star power on the field. And it meant something. Norway, it was important for them. It meant something for the Netherlands to beat Belgium. I mean, these are great games. I do believe that as big of a competitive advantage while the United States is playing Grenada and El Salvador and the Netherlands are playing or is Netherlands are playing uh, Belgium, Poland, and Wales, or Germany's playing Italy, Germany, and Hungary. That sounds a lot better. I do believe that playing the European teams against each other like this is going to give them a false sense of security. Because the world is is poised to have a good World Cup. You need to have games against... I think the U.S. getting these two Asian Confederation teams in September is huge. You're going to play there, you're going to get a taste of it. I think these African teams are going to be, there's two or three that could be poised for a run. If Europe is playing Europe is playing Europe, initially you would think that that gives them a huge edge based on what we saw in the Euros, based on what we saw in the last World Cup where Europe dominated. But I think there's a false sense of security there that you want to diversify your portfolio, right? It's a. This is very intriguing. We're in a whole new world of how these competitions roll out everything's going to feel more and more streamlined the u.s has to get a bigger piece of the pie whether that's playing south american teams but from my perspective south america doesn't want any part of Concacaf. maybe it's they don't want to have to adopt the central american and caribbean teams maybe there's a chance for usa mexico canada to splinter off and find those games i mean we know that those three nations are going to rise above because they've already qualified for the next world cup so there's going to be a, a fat period of success for these two, these three t- countries. But that you would like to see resolved. Is there a relationship with another federation like Africa? I think that makes sense. Because, you know, if Comebol wants to get in bed with UEFA, then let's get in bed with CAF, right? CONCACAF and CAF. But at the end of the day, the Nations League has been a tremendous success. I've enjoyed the games. I'm sure a lot of people out there have as well. Keep them coming. Um, and uh, let's get that. It feels like the Euros still, right? Because there's intensity to these games. So enjoy it. And initially, my fear was it's going to bode poorly for the U.S. and Mexico. You know, Mexico had a game. Uh, they got... They had Uruguay, Ecuador, and now they've gone into, I think it was Suriname. So here it is. Here it is. World Cup five months away. Everyone's getting ready for it all over the planet. We'll complete the groups the next two days. It's very exciting. This is the Soccer OG. Always great to share some time with you. We want it to be interactive. So drop me a review. Let me know what you think so we can continue to grow the podcast. Thanks for everyone for listening and it's, uh, it, it warms my heart to no end to see the numbers that we're developing after such a modest beginning. So you can always tell your friends you were here from the beginning, right? That's important. You set this foundation. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos. We'll be back after the game against El Salvador. Doug McIntyre, who covers the U.S. team, will be joining me in the business end. Have a great week as I sign off every time, and specifically when it's a Sunday Placido Domingo. Copenhagen.